0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Sea Trade Cruise Talks, Experts in Expedition. I'm Ben Lyons, the CEO of EOS Expeditions, and I'll be talking today with Lisa Kelly, the Auto Deputy Executive Director and Director of Operations and Government Affairs. And Lisa and I actually have worked together for many, many years together, which we'll, we'll get into in a moment. But when we both worked at Lindblad Expeditions together, Lisa was the expedition leader and I was a captain. So we've had this sort of on-the-ground experience. We know pretty well what it takes to make a good partnership and deliver a wonderful expedition experience. I look forward to sharing that with you today. And Lisa, it's great to have you here.
1: Thank you very much, Ben. It's great to be here and to be able to speak about the amazing times that we've had together out on the vessels.
0: Well, well, Lisa, why don't you start us off? Because we actually have fairly similar backgrounds into how we got into this industry. Some differences, which we'll go into, but fairly similar in our stories, I guess. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into the expedition industry?
1: Sure. Indeed, we do. We're from very similar backgrounds. I started on the vessels as a guest. It was supposed to be a gap year between university and graduate school. And my grandparents, who at that time were longtime Limblad travelers, decided that they would ask me along to one of the voyages in western europe and it sticks in my head to this day about stepping on board this ocean going vessel which back then was called the caledonian star then later named the national geographic endeavor I remember s- stepping on board and saying oh i'm home and Whilst I still had aspirations to go to graduate school, I did and was able to kind of talk to the crew a bit, being one of the youngest people at the time, and say, you know, what does it take to get into this industry? And because I was back early to the landings often, I was helping out, loading people into Zodiacs, and just in general trying to help with luggage or anything I could, they actually were really kind and and spoke to me a little bit about what it might take to get on board. And after a few weeks of me, you know, asking a few more questions about what it took, they said, well, actually, we've got a position open in Antarctica if you'd like to apply. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll apply for it. And what was it again? And they said, well, it's for our gift shop. So unbeknownst to my grandparents at the time, I applied and flew to New York and interviewed and got the job, came home and said, well, Grandma and Grandpa, I'm heading to Antarctica for four months in November. And (laughs) that was the start of it.
0: (laughs) How did that go down?
1: Um, (laughs) I think that my grandparents, they couldn't fault me too much because they kind of set me up for the job. What stung was probably the subsequent contracts and actually 16 years later of not going to graduate school might have had a little bit of a sting. But in general, they were really, really happy to see me out at sea. And and of course, I was so happy with the job. They were just really pleased with that.
0: Yeah. And of course, then Lisa, you you had a wonderful career on the ships, which I want to go into and, and talk about your progression in just a minute. But I thought it's worth sharing how I got into expedition cruising. My background was somewhat similar in that I had started off as a passenger on ships, originally sort of the transatlantic ocean liners and a sort of fascination with that since I was very young. And then I decided to go to the Merchant Marine Academy and actually become an officer on cruise ships. And I was working on the Queen Mary too. And at the same time, I was doing travel writing. So reviewing and writing about cruises for different magazines and publications. And I got an offer to go on a Lindblad expedition to Galapagos. And trying to, you know, pull a little bit of street cred here with my Lindblad background, that was the uh, Polaris was still operating back then. And so I set off for a week around Galapagos on Polaris and just loved the expedition mentality, the way that the guides were there to educate, camaraderie that formed on board. I just thought it was an overall and an amazing experience using a ship as a platform to learn and to educate. And I decided that you know if I, I I really wanted to go to Antarctica and if I was going to go to Antarctica I wanted to go with Lindblad, so a few years later I got another travel writing assignment, and I joined the newly renamed National Geographic Endeavor, down in in Antarctica where you Lisa were the assistant expedition leader if I remember, and just had the most extraordinary experience for 11 days cruising around Antarctica enjoying the ship you know, learning so much from the expedition team, watching the captain up on the bridge navigate and realizing it was just such a totally different experience than what I was used to as an officer on board Queen Mary II. And so I I got home and sort of very promptly made the decision that I was going to leave my job on the Queen Mary II and went to Sven Lindblad and, you know, asked him about a possibility of an opportunity on the National Geographic Explorer that was being built at the time. And long story short, was offered a position with Lindblad and started off as Chief Officer on National Geographic Endeavor for her final season in Antarctica before moving over to National Geographic Explorer. And then you and I spent several years together, I guess, working together, uh, Lisa. You were Assistant Expedition Leader, you were Dive Master, and you were Expedition Leader during that whole time. And I was Chief Officer, Ice Officer, and Captain during that whole time, I think.
1: It's amazing to think back on this as as we were preparing for this conversation. It's really amazing to think back on all the times that we've had together. And I remember when you first came on board and I was young at the time being on board and you were a few years younger than me. And I remember teasing you because I was always getting teased when I first came on board. But really, it was all out of the best intentions. And of course, also because me as you as you came on board, you were so competent and so, you know, just a great shipmate to have. And so we've felt really fortunate to work with you all these years.
0: Same to you, of course. But let's go into that relationship now a little bit more. Let's get into the down and dirty of it, Lisa. I remember when I first arrived on an expedition ship and up on the bridge, and I just thought of how different it was from working on a big cruise ship. You know, big cruise ships had these schedules that were set out years in advance everything was very formal everything was orchestrated as like a big massive production you know that you're coordinating and on an expedition ship you're much more spontaneous you know you are working with changing weather conditions changing wildlife conditions and i remember that the expedition leader of course could just come to the bridge anytime of course which is very different than uh, on a big cruise ship and come up to the captain and say you know what I've changed my mind. We're going to go somewhere else today. Or let's see anchor now and, and get underway. And you know, you could never do that on the Queen Mary 2. The cruise director could never come up and say, you know what, decided we want to leave Barbados three hours early. Let's get underway. This dynamic between the captain and the expedition leader did not take long for me to realize that this was really one of the, the key tenets for delivering an amazing expedition experience. And I just love sort of your thoughts on that and how that struck you when you first sort of became assistant expedition leader.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that I was trained really early on, especially, you know, with some of the expedition leaders I originally worked with who were extremely spontaneous and kind of had long, long long-term relationships with the captains. So to see that play back and forth and that quick switch, because really the expedition ships was all I knew, that was how I learned and how I proceeded. So I can imagine how for you coming off the bigger vessels, and I remember you telling stories about what it was like on the bigger vessels and all of us were like, what? How could you work like that? (laughs) Um, But I think it goes both ways, that switch and that you as a captain or whoever is a captain coming to the expedition leader and saying, uh, <laughs> you know what, this wind is coming up to 70 knots in a, a few minutes. It's time for you to leave that landing now. And it just has to be that really very basic trust between the two, between the expedition leader and the captain. And because we did work in such extreme conditions in a lot of times and fast changing but also areas which absolutely excited you to your core. So you always wanted to see more. You wanted to do more, even if you were absolutely exhausted. um, If you remember those times up in the Arctic, staying up all night long looking for (laughs) polar bears, I think that that's a really special part of the expedition cruising. And that's where that bond between a captain and an EL has to be really strong for the best possible expedition. For those guests on board.
0: Yeah, this triggered all sorts of thoughts and memories for for me, Lisa, but I think what that reminds me of is like a a good captain always has to be thinking like an expedition leader and a good expedition leader always has to be thinking like a captain. And I was so fortunate at, at Lindblad to work with so many, you know, wonderful captains who, incredible expedition knowledge and decades of experience. And I remember sailing down one day, we were sailing south of the Antarctic Circle on board the Explorer. And I was with Captain Skog and I was the chief mate, and we were just spending hours and hours going through ice, hoping to reach the Antarctic Circle. And we're up on the bridge together, and he turns to me at one point and says, so what happens if we don't make it? What are we going to do? Well, I, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll call Lisa or something like that. And he said, of course, but you always have to have a plan B in mind. You know? you know, know. It's pretty clear now we're not going to make the Antarctic Circle in the time frame that we want to. We have to readjust our plans. What else can we offer the guests? And let's stop right now. Let's put the kayaks down. Let's put the Zodiacs out. Let's give the guests this incredible experience and calling the expedition leader up to the bridge and then sort of talking through this plan. But this idea that you always have to be thinking of the guest experience, because on an expedition ship, it's the quality and the skill of the captain who's willing to put the hours in to cut through the ice and to navigate in the ice and to be thinking like the captain. And the quality and experience of the expedition leader who can think of plan B, plan C, all at a moment's notice is really it has a direct impact on the guest experience and the energy that you as the expedition leader put in you know a lot of expedition leaders want to do the same thing week after week after week but i remember of course you were always wanted to, to do something different you wanted to keep it varied and that energy of wanting to try something new really adds to that expedition experience and the guests can tell they can feel that energy that comes when there's a good relationship between the captain and the expedition leader and when the, when the EL is putting in you know energy into the experience
1: I completely agree, and also, I think when we were working, we were so fortunate to have that open bridge policy where we could have the guests up there with us, real time, live, making decisions. Now, yes, sometimes there might have been a few too many questions while we were trying to make some of those difficult (laughs) decisions. Um, but really for them to watch those dynamics and to feel their excitement build as our excitement was building towards a new landing or something off the beaten track or a new activity that we hadn't done yet that trip. So yeah, I, I agree at 100% that relationship, the energy that you put out, it all goes into making that extraordinary guest experience.
0: That was one of the biggest changes for me coming from a big cruise ship, of course, was having guests up on the bridge all the time and you didn't close the bridge if the captain and the expedition leader had to have an important meeting you basically just went to the side of the bridge and you had the meeting in front of the guests you know maybe you're you're talking a little bit lower to to not reveal plans but you have to do everything out in front of the guests there's there's no hiding what the genuine true experience is and what the true genuine relationship between the EL and the captain is so you're very much on display and and I think that's one of the great things on an expedition ship that guests can see that dynamic out right in front of their eyes so now that we've sort of established how it can work what do you think is necessary to create that relationship to create that wonderful way of, of working together what, what do you think are some of the most important elements in a, in a good working relationship between a captain and an expedition leader
1: i've said it before for sure you know and it's the basic of any team effort is trust you've got to have trust in the person and and also their abilities you know a lot, especially on the captain's side, your ability to steer us safely through the ice to make those tough calls when the weather is really going to pot really has to be spot on. And, and the EL has to trust that you're doing it for the best guest experience possible. As far as some of the other important factors, I think time together is, is certainly one whilst in the expedition world, we're used to to coming together to very tight knit teams, but it does take time to build those relationships. And if they're right, you become family really quickly. That is something that I find so extraordinary, you know, with you and Captain Leif and Captain Cruz, you know, you became family very, very quickly. And with the family comes the good and the bad. You know, there are a lot of times when you you work extraordinarily well together, but you do have your difference in opinions and you just have to to be able to work through those as well. And, you know, there are times where you are hiding in that corner of the bridge, you know, <laughs> d- discussing things a little, little tensely. But for the most part, I'm always amazed and I do think it's because we are So close on board, and we are family, that we were able to get through a lot of the the different and extreme circumstances that we did so well.
0: I would have echoed exactly everything you said, and I would have added perhaps just communication. You know, I think it's probably the secret to life, but it's certainly the secret on an expedition ship is constantly communicating between the expedition leader and captain because plans are changing all the time, and you need to to make sure the other is, is abreast of what's going on and what possible plans are. And understanding that the pressures that each one has, you know, captain has a very different set of responsibilities and pressure on his shoulder. And the expedition leader has a very different set on her shoulder. So it's it's that mutual understanding of what the other is being asked to deliver. And then is also, I guess, what we've really already touched upon, but it's a sense of this camaraderie and fun. You know, mm-hmm. if the captain's always the captain. And that authority has to always be there, but on, on expedition ships, there is that great atmosphere that forms and those ships are small enough and intimate enough that that relationship between the EL and the captain, it it permeates throughout everything. And again, I, as I've said before, I think the guests can tell when it's a good relationship and, you know, when we've worked together for years and and we genuinely enjoy it, it's, it's uh, it's magic, but sometimes not everything goes perfectly. Sometimes not everything goes to plan. And and I was curious if any sort of incidents or challenges sort of popped to mind for you, Elisa. Well, I think
1: you're going to know the one that I'm going to pick.
0: <laughs> I'm hoping so. <laughs>
1: yeah. I believe it was on our trip in West Africa. And
0: we were know, having... That, that does sound familiar, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we were having a lovely morning around Sao Tome and Principe and to have a zodiac cruise around a bird island and the divers were going out and the weather turned on a dime. It was amazing and I know you were watching it from the bridge roll in and we were watching it because we were on the water and the zodiacs and I just yeah um I still get chills and and feel slightly sick to my stomach <laughs> to this day when I when I think about it because it was one of those days where the wind came up, the waves came up, we were getting guests out of the zodiac in horrendous conditions and I'm ever so thankful that we didn't have anybody injured, we didn't have any major mishaps. Um, the guests in the end had a fantastic story to tell. But one of the things I do remember is calling you on the radio several times as I'm in the water in my own boat watching to make sure everybody is getting back on board and speaking to you. And, and just the the calm assurance and also knowing that everything you were doing on the ship was happening to get the guests safely back on board. And I think that, again, that just sort of solidifies, you know, our relationship as shipmates, as friends, as as captain and EL, um, just being able to work that well together and be slightly lucky in that specific circumstance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that was the incident I was hoping you were going to bring up. Yeah. And, and of course, I, I have vivid memories of that as well and it was you know here you and i have worked together in the antarctic and the arctic and all these places and for me the most violent weather system where we've had guests out was almost right on the equator and think back to that moment i think what each of us was dealing with you know we were at anchor three tenths two tenths of a mile or something off the island and you had the guests out in the zodiac when everything changed you know on a dime that weather just picked up to 60 knots and I was up on the bridge worried about, okay, we have to heave anchor, but we have to get everything ready. And the ship moving away from the danger, away from the island, you were there trying to corral all the guests and and keep all the guests calm and happy in the Zodiacs and safe. And then we sort of had to work together of how do you bring the guests in and create a safe disembarkation for them back into the ship at the same time that I'm up there trying to make sure that the ship is not drifting into an unsafe condition, you know, and it was great partnership. And I remember sending the, the chief officer down to the side gate to jump into boats and to help and sort of this this wonderful deck department and expedition team camaraderie and, and and partnership working together. What's fascinating to me about that is that on expeditions, you know, you just have to be eternally vigilant. You know, we did everything right. You know, we we had the right training, we took all the right precautions in case anything had come up, even before that weather turned. We had the engines on, you know, we we did everything right so that thankfully it was safe and happy resolution but it just goes to show on expeditions you can never be too complacent and you can never be too competent whether you're at the equator or whether you're in antarctica and i think lisa one of the things that really still resonates with me in my memory after that incident was that okay we got all the guests back on board we got all the zodiacs back on board you know and 60 knots of wind or, or whatever and we sailed off to the next island and you and i then went around to the dining room to all of the guests as a team together just to make sure all of the guests were okay. And I thought that just ended a, a really sort of powerful signal to the guests about how we're all in this together, how we're working this and, and you know, making sure everyone was okay. And that I just thought that was a, a wonderful way to sort of finish that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I remember, <laughs> I, remember I was slightly drier then. Um, I, I remember <laughs> coming up to the bridge after we had gotten all the boats up just to check in with you and and, and standing there dripping wet and saying, "Well, that was interesting." And and you saying, "Yeah, that was." <laughs> and I said so I'm going to go take a shower.
0: Now. We probably said something like, "We'll be talking about this in 10 years." <laughs> yep. So, right, here we um, are.
1: But yeah, I think and that's another strong point that you make. I mean, for obviously that was an extreme case and and you're absolutely right that that did resonate really well with the, with the guests. I think on the expedition ships also that's often the case in emergency circumstances or extreme circumstances. I remember you know, standing up and giving nightly briefings or emergency briefings about you know, a, a medical evacuation or having to leave the Antarctic Peninsula early because we wanted to avoid weather in the Drake. and standing up there with, with the captains to make that announcement and them being there to equally take questions. That also, you know, sends a really big message to yeah. the guests. You know, the captain is there; he's present. He's not just up on the bridge, and that's another amazing part about the expedition vessels.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. The joint appearances at recap or something are are very are very important. So now we've we've talked about you know some of the good stuff, some of the bad stuff. What do you think a captain should never do from an expedition leader's perspective?
1: Truthfully, I think that the number one thing is to remount your expedition leader on the bridge for any <laughs> any reason. And that's likewise, you know, an EL can certainly lose their temper with anybody as well. And I think that it's those times where you just ask to go down, you know, to the captain's cabin or into the radio room or whatever and have a conversation there as much out of the earshot, even of the crew as as possible. And come to that solution. Don't hold the grudges and move forward with the expedition. Because as we've talked about so many times already in this conversation, that relationship needs to remain intact and you need to be able to work through that conflict to have a successful expedition.
0: Yeah. And I would have said the same thing from an what should an expedition leader never do from a captain's perspective. I had sort of first on my list is that they should really never publicly disagree with the captain. You know, you never want to have an expedition leader say, you know, the captain doesn't want to go there. I think it's the wrong decision. You know, I don't know. He just wants to get to sleep tonight or something like that. But there should always be that support. And then, of course, you know, an expedition leader should never be, you know, pushing to go somewhere that the captain doesn't want to go. Right. It has to be that uh, an understanding of what the captain's priorities are and learning how to handle that properly is, uh, I think, the key between a good captain and, uh, and a bad captain. You know, how do you Work that out with the expedition leader and deliver the experience that you feel comfortable with, but also that the expedition leader wants. So, I agree, hundred percent. I thought we should just finish off with sort of thinking about what our favorite destination or perhaps one of our most memorable experiences are. It can be either one that we shared, good or bad, or not. What sort of tugs at your heart when you think about your to your time on the ships?
1: Well, <laughs> as strange as it may sound, no, Antarctica, of course, and. I still, to this day, and for those who may not be familiar with what IATO is, it's the International Association of Antarctica Tour Operators. So I am still working in the Antarctic realm, but there's a real reason for that. It's one of those places that just touches your soul and really doesn't matter how many times I've been, 100, 200, it's still... Is different every single time. And so I really have to say those times in Antarctica, and especially with the Limblad vessels, just going to those out-of-the-way places, pulling in, you know, to a new place to visit, dropping the kayaks, just taking a, a serene zodiac cruise, that's really what started my passion for Antarctica. And then moving on from there, you know, working in the other areas like for the United States Antarctic program, really seeing how it works from the other side, from the scientific side, and just loving that Antarctica is dedicated to peace and science.
0: Yeah, I think for me, of course, it's Antarctica as well. And I think what's great about IATO as an organization and really about all of the, the member or companies that are part of IATO is that we all genuinely love Antarctica. You know, we're all genuinely passionate about it and and it's it's so easy for each of us to sort of wax poetic about the most amazing sunsets we've seen or or encounters with whales from the bow of a ship. Or, you know, I, I was thinking of this great day that we had on the Explorer just around Thanksgiving, I think in our second season, the ice opened up and we were to make it all the way down the Weddell Sea, almost down to Snow Hill and land on the ice where there were emperor penguins all around. We sailed out to the still, still Weddle sea with tabular icebergs all around and and projecting the the shadow of the ship onto the icebergs. It was just this magic day. It was just something that was so out of this world. So, yeah, Antarctica really, really gets into you. And the other thing, I guess, for for me, the most memorable experiences, of course, often involve the the people that, that are there that we're working with and the friendships that you form. Of course, that goes without saying. And just to sort of tie this all together, I remember my first contract on the National Geographic Endeavor. We were sailing from Brazil down to Ushuaia without guests on board, and Tom Ritchie was on board. Tom was, uh, for, for whatever reason, he couldn't disembark in, in Brazil with the rest of the staff, and so he had to sail down to Ushuaia with us and have these nine days at sea. And it was my first contract, it was my first sort of exposure to Tom, to Lindblad, to all these things. And on this beautiful tropical night, Tom and I climbed up that forward mast on Endeavor to the crow's nest. And we sat up there under a sort of moonlit, starry sky going through the tropics and Tom just spent you know two hours telling me stories about birth of expedition cruising and going down to Antarctica for the first time on the Lindblad Explorer and all these extraordinary events that that he has seen over his 40 plus you know years working in the industry that just sort of sold it for me I thought wow what what a, what a cool industry what a what a cool set of experiences that I can have and that we can offer the, the guests and uh, that night really resonates to me still to this day.
1: I remember the Emperor Penguin Day, Thanksgiving Day 2008. And yes. that was, yeah, one of those breathtaking, amazing days where everything, the weather, the way the wind was blowing to blow the pack ice out of the way. And, you know, the intrepidness of the the captain and the expedition leader at the time to get us there was amazing. I remember the DER, the Daily Expedition Report, that was written that day about being thankful. And of course, it was all about being thankful for being at that one spot on that specific day. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I also got horribly sunburnt on that day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's the joy of uh, expedition cruising. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> you got even sunburnt in Antarctica. So, yeah. Well, Lisa, it's been great fun to walk down a little bit of memory lane and share some of these experiences with you. And yeah, it's been a quite an interesting year. I think as you've moved to New Zealand from New York State. I've moved to Montana from New York State. So uh, I look forward to the time when we're all traveling together again and I can run into you in Punta Arenas or the the runway in King George Island some, sometime like that, uh, hopefully fairly soon. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much, Ben. It's been great chatting with you. And indeed, yes, we all look forward to that time when we can meet up again and and see each other in our natural environments, either out at sea or in an airport someplace.
0: (laughs) That's right, (laughs) super. And to everyone who has listened, thank you so much for, uh, for tuning in. You can check in on Spotify or Apple Podcasts during the coming weeks for more great content. Make sure you register for Sea Trade Cruise Virtual Expedition Cruising. I'll be leading a workshop on how to become an expedition destination. And you can go to com slash virtual to find out more. Thank you so much.